1: helping you find the words to create share reality in a way that's true to yourself. My guest today is a first-generation American endeavoring to achieve the American dream. At first glance, this student athlete who rode crew at University of Georgia, majored in business, real estate, and finance, and started his career as an investment property manager might seem picture perfect. As you'll soon hear, this wasn't exactly the case, and by the way, it never is, which will make the fact that he founded his own company, which is thriving beyond what he could have imagined, even more impressive. Meet my aspiring and inspiring young friend, the owner and operator of Raleigh Paint and Improvement, Brennan O'Dowd. Brennan, welcome to Say It Skillfully.
2: Hey, Molly, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity so much.
1: Well, you are a very, very bright light, more inspiring to me than I can convey. And- For listeners, I I have to share, I have had many, many years of seeing Brennan on annual family Christmas cards as his mom and I met in seventh grade, playing violin in the Rochester Philharmonic Youth Orchestra. So this uh, time feels very familial to me. Uh, Brennan, I'm in awe of you, as you know, and I'm really grateful you're making time to join us today and appreciate your willingness to share uh, the crazy journey you've been on.
2: Yeah, I'm happy to share anything and everything. I'm I'm an open book. Uh, and so, you know, anything that I can do to help, you know, people thinking about starting a business or people that are in it or, or, you know, struggling in any way, anything that I can provide to, you know, help further the community and grow these, you know, your listeners in any way, you know, it would be a pleasure.
1: Well, we're grateful. And, you know, just start as a, you know, a kid. I know it wasn't the smallest family. So just talk about earliest childhood memories. What were you like as a kid?
2: Yeah. So I, I grew up comfortably, you know, I, I had a, I had a roof over my head. I had food on the table. Um, I was, both my parents were raised in, in relative, were not in relative poverty. I, I say that um, you know, it, not extreme poverty, but they did not have a lot of money going around. So I was very much so raised on poor man's values. Don't waste food. If there's a one bite left on the plate, you put it in the fridge, you know, no wasting food uh, but I did uh, you know, both my parents are optometrists. I grew up with two older brothers, Michael and Daniel, and then a younger sister, Emily, who actually is, Who's my uh, operations manager and and kind of helps me run the business um, as well. But yeah, I grew up on a tobacco farm in uh, just south of Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, you know, hiking and and camping and and just surrounded by love. Um, my parents were always there for me. They made it abundantly clear that education was a large part of my life um, and. I was I, I was very very well supported and, and I'm I'm super grateful to have had the opportunity because I know some people don't necessarily always have that and um being able to have parents that you know stayed married throughout the entire duration are still happily married um I'm very very grateful to have them uh and they guided me um in every step of the way I never felt that I couldn't ask them something, even tough questions, um, you know, which, what should I do with my life, mom, what should I do with my life, dad? And, and I think the biggest thing that they taught me, um, number one was to be grateful for what you have again, because they grew up with not much, uh, having count, counting your blessings is much more important than counting what you don't have. We can always think about the things that we want that we don't have, but it's much harder to think about the things that we do have and then be grateful for that. And then the number two thing I think that they really instilled in me is to really rise to the occasion to think for myself, to learn how to learn. Uh, and as a result, uh, I've been able to, you know to, you know take on uh, an immense amount of, of adversity, and overcome these obstacles, and and um, you know start a business uh, kind of with nothing, and uh, and grow it to what it is now. Uh, but yeah, so I, I I grew up in you know a small town America, like I said, on a farm, and uh, I went to high school, and then I went to University of Georgia, graduated with a degree in finance and real estate. And my my dreams were to be a uh, you know big finance guy and making millions of dollars working in investment investment banking and and uh that you know corporate finance world and and then things kind of took a turn for the worst, which you know set me on a drastically different path in life, which hindsight 2020 is probably the best thing that had ever happened to me. Uh and you know. Again, looking back, I'm very grateful for everything that I have experienced, uh, good and bad, because it's got me to where I am today.
1: We're gonna we're gonna dive back into some of the darker times. and let me just ask, because uh, you do have uh, two older brothers, I'm just curious, the dynamic of the boys. Did you uh, competitiveness? I'm just wondering any. Values that came up, and were you trying to keep up with older brothers, or (laughs) what was that like? (laughs) The
2: competitive, uh, the the competition was definitely there, no question. My oldest brother Daniel, he's this alpha male, you know, uh, he thinks, you know, the the world is full of hammer and nails, and and it's either you win or you get left behind. Uh, I was the third oldest boy. Uh, and fortunately I was the tallest and biggest, so I didn't really get picked on as much. Uh, but I was, I was also, I, I was gifted with the talent of knowledge. I was, I, I'm innately smart. I got good grades. School came pretty easily to me. I mean, don't get me wrong. I had to study in school, but I never really had a, a, a hugely difficult time in, in school. um, and then, you know, of course, if I did, uh, you know, my mom, she really valued education. My So I'm half Filipino. My mom is from uh, the Philippines. My father's from Ireland. Uh, and so both of them um, really valued education. So it was really pressed in our household to get good grades. And and fortunately, I got the uh, I got I, I guess I got the, a good gene and and I was smart. Um, so the competition was there, but I think everybody knew that, uh, I was just the smartest and coolest of the bunch. And, uh, I don't think that they would tell you that, but, uh, they know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you're on the radio show and you got the mic. So <laughs>
2: that is obviously, that is obviously a fact.
1: <laughs> what was it like being big brother to your sister?
2: Uh, Emily, I, Emily is, um, I mean, she is the world to me. I would, uh. I'd die for her. Emily is somebody that I care for so deeply. Uh, Emily, need I say, she's not, growing up with three older brothers, she she could take care of herself. I'm never worried about Emily uh, picking the wrong boyfriend, so to speak. Uh, She's tough as nails, um, but I'd bend over backwards to help her in any way possible. Um, And and she fended for herself. And additionally, her being the youngest and the only girl, my parents were, uh, they were, I guess, more protective of her uh, just because she was the only girl and she was the youngest. Uh, No one really messed with Emily. Uh, And if and if uh, they did, then Emily usually was she was she was always right, it seemed, uh, which was frustrating for me sometimes but no i i i love emily so much we're we're such a close-knit family that push come to shove um we're gonna be there for each other and me and emily emily and i specifically we were the closest of all the siblings um daniel and michael were always kind of battling for being top dog quote unquote and uh emily and i knowing we were kind of bottom of the pecking order, we kind of bound together and, and, uh, joined alliances. And so I know that she has my back and, um, and I hope that she knows that I have her back through thick and thin.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And this is a shout out to, uh, your amazing parents and, you know, for all parents out there, what can be harder than raising young people for a world you don't know, you know, so just kudos. Cause sometimes you do it all right. It doesn't go so well. And, um, you guys have just such a blessed family take us through brennan you know you you you're a pretty confident uh young person you're doing well in school you um get out and start the working world you're gonna make millions uh and just take us through you know what uh, transpired for you um
0: yeah you
2: know, um that. yeah so i graduated in may of 2019 from georgia and I immediately uh, started work. So I graduated in May, and I started my first job in May, uh, 2019. It was real estate brokerage, commercial real estate brokerage, uh, selling apartment complexes. And um, it was a it was a toxic environment. I hated it, uh, but I knew there was money to be made. And um, you know, if there's one thing that I'm good at, it's it's rising to the occasion. Uh, so I was able to perform, but I, I hated it the whole time I was there. Uh, and I think it showed and, and nobody really liked me. Nobody liked really being around me. I wasn't a guy that fits in. Uh, when people zig, I zag. I, when, when I wasn't somebody who liked to do things by the textbook. I was someone who said, okay, people are doing it this way. Let me see if I can reinvent the wheel and a better wheel and and improve on what already exists. And and so I got fired from that job uh, in Atlanta. And um, and, you know, during that time, I was I was doing a lot of drugs. I felt incompetent. I felt like a loser. I mean, I was a loser. I got fired from a job and. You know, coming from college, which I was a very high achieving student, you know, honors, all all the, all the, you know, all the uh, certificates and things like that. I I got all that stuff. So I was, it was my first real world experience of failure and I didn't feel like I was good enough. And I dealt with it. I coped with it by using heroin and Xanax, uh, just to put it bluntly. Uh, I got really, uh, I got really into that. It was a really, it was a very slippery slope and, um, you know, it kind of came to a breaking point when, um, so I love going, I love hunting. I, uh, like I said, I grew up outdoors, camping, you know, hiking, things like that. So I love target shooting. And so I, I have guns and, um, I was high one day and I had reason to believe that there was somebody that was going to come and steal uh, my drugs or worse. I I didn't know what they were going to do, but I had reason to believe that they were going to come and rob me. And so I armed myself uh, with uh, with a three eighty pistol and um, it's about five thirty. And my roommate, uh, he came through the door And of course, I was high out of my mind. I wasn't even I I was not there at all uh, mentally. And I aimed the gun at him and, uh, you know, I pulled the trigger and it did what guns do. And uh, and it fired off around. uh, And and thank God. I mean, thank God I missed. Uh, But he I mean, that 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 look that he gave me, uh, it's a photo in my mind that I'll never forget. And I realized, man, you know, have I come this low? Uh, Like Brennan, I, I had a talk of myself in the mirror thinking, what kind of monster have you become? You just, you literally just shot at your own best friend. You just shot at your own roommate, a real gun that could have easily killed him. And it was, it was, it was, that was the, uh, light switch moment, if you will, of holy crap, this needs to change. I-, I cannot continue down this path of drugs and alcohol. I mean, I gotta dig to the three worst things in my opinion, which is guns, drugs, and girls. Uh and I realized I couldn't continue down this path uh of guns, drugs, and girls. And so um the support system that I had was my family, of course, but they were not they were not in Atlanta, which is where I was. My friends had realized, obviously my roommate then called my other friends and they kind of sat me down and uh, said, Brennan, we've we've called your parents and we've told them that you're out of control. And uh of course I was pissed off uh looking back. I'm there's still some of my best friends. Uh, now, I mean, I goodness, I wouldn't even talk to me. Uh, if, if, uh, if someone did the things that I did to them, uh, because just horrendous, I mean, I, you know, petty crime, I did it just for the heck of doing it. Uh, and so that support system, my friends, they told my brother, my brother told my parents, my parents told me to come back home to Raleigh, North Carolina. And so, um, You know i went back to raleigh i spent a couple months at home still still using at this point nothing had changed i thought that you know maybe it was just a one-off thing but let me just slow down i'll use less drugs but i'll still use drugs and i can still maintain a normal lifestyle Um, that is obviously not the case i i do have a very addictive personality so when it comes to anything, whether it's running my business, I, I, I am very, I have a very addictive personality. And so I, my parents posed to me, I remember we were at the farmer's market in, in Raleigh and they said, Brennan, we want to send you to rehab. And, uh, and of course, I, again, I was high then. And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? Not really knowing what the heck it was. And so I just said, yeah, I'll go to rehab. And so I went to rehab, um, and uh, and and I and I got clean um, and it was not easy. I mean, that's that's a that's a whole other story as far as, you know, getting clean and going to rehab. But essentially, I got out. I didn't know what to do with my life. I, I had just gone through a, a massive roller coaster of, uh, you know, doing great in school, having a great job, getting fired, getting addicted to drugs. It went from peak to the absolute rock bottom so quickly. and I didn't know what to do with my life. What I did know was I I knew how to paint. I painted uh, for a property manager. Um, It was an individual owner who owned a bunch of different properties. Uh and I worked for him throughout high school running painting crews. So I'm I'm a great painter myself. I know how to paint, I know what a good paint job looks like, I know what a bad one looks like. And so um, yeah, I, I did the applying for jobs, but I, I always wanted to be my own boss. And so what I what I did was, well, Brennan, I know uh, you know, I know I know how to paint. And so I, I you know, went to the largest house I could possibly find uh, in the Raleigh area. And I went door knocking and I, you know, knocked on the door and said, hello, uh, my name is Brennan. Do you need any painting done in your house? And, you know, of course, a hundred doors, uh, slammed later, one guy said, yeah, sure. Go ahead and paint, you know, this little cubicle size bathroom, uh, you know, and we'll see what you can do. And I ended up doing that. So I painted his one bathroom, and then he saw that I could actually paint. And then he moved me on to his dining room. He said, all right, paint this, and then the living room, and then the kitchen. And, and this whole time, I didn't really have anything to grab onto except for waking up, going to work, going to paint for this one gentleman in this. I mean, it was a, it was a mansion, don't get me wrong. And I earned his trust. What I didn't know was while I was painting – he was telling his neighbors that, uh, hey, there's this kid in my house that's painting. I, and, and I had told this gentleman my story uh, of what I'm telling you where, I, you know, I, I kind of fell flat on my face and I'm trying to get redemption. I'm trying to redeem myself. And so during my lunch hour. Uh, So I'd go in to paint his house. And then during my lunch hour, I'd go to all the neighbors and I'd knock on their doors and say, hey, do you need any painting services? And this is about two weeks in uh, of painting this guy's house. Just me. You know, I bought a drop cloth and some plastic and a paintbrush. And uh, and they said, you know, I knocked on the neighbor's doors and they said, oh, we've we've heard of you. You know, you're you know, the person's house that you're painting we we know this person he's been talking about you in fact we we would like some painting done and so he kind of helped me out he helped springboard me into other homes he got my foot in the door and similarly you know i started out um you know painting the small bathroom and then you know kind of testing 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 me out as far as how legit I was by the time that I had finished my first house of that first gentleman I had five other houses that I needed to paint uh of that were all neighbors they were all neighbors all on the same street and um and you know I I couldn't have done it by myself so I I kind of had a a coming to god moment uh if you will of you know is this is this it you know, is, is, is this where I get off the bus? And so I decided that it was. And so I, I sold my car. I sold, uh, I sold everything. I, I had shoes. I sold my shoes, anything that anybody would buy. I sold, uh, so I could buy a paint van. And that's where I got my first paint van and slowly started to hire and fire, Literally hundreds and hundreds of painters uh in order to build up at least one crew uh to help me, you know, develop some kind of uh reputation. And the and the main thing that we always focused on was showing up when you say you're gonna show up and doing what you say you're gonna do. It's all about integrity. Um it's all about integrity and quality. If everything else goes to shit, of my French, then quality is going to stay paramount. It it is the most important thing. And so I had, after I had this, you know, coming a moment, coming to God moment, I, I just seized the moment and I doubled down. And so I had a paint van and finally I found one good painter Uh, again, after probably a hundred, 120 different people of hiring and firing And he and I would paint the houses and I would still, for about a year, continue to knock on doors. My average day was maybe 15 hour days or so. Uh, A shorter day would be like 12 hours and then like a longer day would be like 18. So don't get me wrong. It wasn't it wasn't like the easiest thing. And to anybody listening, thinking about starting a business, it's not even close to easy. Um, it is very hard work, but it it does pay off. And, um, so yeah, you know, continue to do that knock on doors and, and now, uh, fast forward to where we are now, um, I've had the opportunity to build, uh, quite a large team with 21 employees and, um, we're bringing in several million dollars a year. And, um, I, I, I don't do as much painting now. I do fun things like, taxes and insurance so a lot of things behind the scenes but it's a story of of darkness to light i saw how disgusting of a human i could become and and now i want to see how much good i can do how high can i climb from that pit uh that i was previously in And I can tell you, Molly, with confidence that from where I was um, in October of 2020, which is when I started the business, to now, uh, April 20th of 2023, I can confidently tell you that number one, I'm not done. Uh, I I have a lot more to go. But number two, uh, and more importantly, I'm, I'm proud to say that I am who I am. I'm proud to say I can go to any of the jobs that we've done and say, yes, we did this. And I'm proud to say that we painted this. And it was just that word of mouth that really um, catapulted us and and uh, you know, brought me from from darkness to light. And I'm incredibly grateful for that opportunity.
1: I did not know all of this, and I'm blown. I'm blown away. I, um, I'm in awe, as I said, and now I know why I'm really in awe. Um, Brennan, I, you know, so take us to getting started with drugs and then selling drugs and not to take you back to dark places, but psychologically, like what's going on there? You're, are you just so high and you're seeing it? The only way to do this is if I sell, I mean, how does one get sucked into that?
2: Uh yeah, it, it was it was a it's a coping me- it was a coping mechanism for me. Uh I knew that it felt it was easier. What's easy and what's right are often very different. And it was easier for me to just take that pill, to just snort that line rather than do the work to put myself in a better position for success. And so it became easier and easier and easier to just continue to take that pill and hide in a dark corner, turn off the lights, and just cease to exist almost. I mean, you know, I, I, I had a 357 revolver, in, in, you know, in my mouth at one point. And, I, and I'm sorry for the, for the crude manner, but I, 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 you know, I, I thought about ending my life. And it was easier to just go through, it was easier to numb the pain than to face it. And so that's what I chose to do. And because, you know, opiates and benzodiazepines are by nature very addictive, I got hooked. And in order to just feel normal, I, uh, in order to feel normal, I had to, I had to use, it didn't feel like there was a choice,
1: um, your roommate, as he's going back and from work and this is going on, was he totally clued in? I mean how how are you living with someone? What's the interaction with him before this, you know, crazy event?
2: I don't think uh, I don't think he knew because there was no other time that he saw me. He thought that that was just me. Uh, be, you know, just kind of crazy and kind of out of it. Uh, I was always high from the time that I I, from the time that I woke up to the time that I went to bed, I was high the entire time. So he didn't know any other side of Brennan. He didn't know if I was sober, he would have thought, man, what's going on with Brennan? He seems different today. But because I was so high all the time, he just thought, well, that's just that's just how this person is which couldn't be further from the truth.
1: So, Brennan, your family's tight. I, I imagine your parents aren't calling you or siblings are calling you during this time. Or how is that going?
2: Um, Yeah. No. I mean, no, it's not that they weren't calling me. I was I was a very functioning I was a very functioning uh, drug addict. There was a I could. I could very easily converse with my mom face to face and she wouldn't have bat an eye about, you know, how I was behaving. Uh, I was, I was smart enough to know when to take the pills. Like, okay, I'm going to see my mom in an hour. I know that I feel this way on the drug after about an hour. So I'm going to take, you know, and I, and I timed it. It was very meticulous, It was complete duplicity and secrecy. I was living almost a double life of Brennan, you know, ambitious and, and trying to do, you know, trying to hustle as a young professional. And then there's the Brennan that was dealing drugs and messing around with guns and girls that you don't want to take home to mom and. And people like that, and and it didn't really baden I because I was still paying the bills because I was selling drugs, and you know it was it was lucrative, so I was still able to pay for everything. It was um it was just that I was able to very easily deceive uh, the people around me.
1: Wow. The did they think? Did they know you got fired from your job?
2: Um, yeah, I, I told that, uh, I don't, I don't know. I can't recall, um, if they, I know that they knew that I was not working there. I'm not sure if they knew if I was fired or let go, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I mean, I, they knew that I wasn't working. I think they more thought of like, Hey, how is Brennan, you know, doing all these things and paying for things with no job? I think it was more of a don't ask, don't tell kind of situation.
1: Yeah. Brandon, what was it like for you, you know, because you're so close to your family and then they're so supportive and I could imagine, I don't know, where's the feelings of guilt? Like, oh, my gosh, I've done this and people are stressed out about me, worried about me. Talk about that.
2: Uh was it? Do you mean so? Do you mean after or, or like yeah, well, through? The you know, as you're through it,
1: your parents are saying, you know, we want you to go to, um, you know, get help. And I imagine it. I, you know, I imagine it was painful for them. You know, and I think I could mm-hmm. imagine you realizing that what you're doing is is hard for your family, or maybe not. You know, maybe that wasn't something that you could process at that point.
2: Yeah, when I was high. Um, before my friends told them, I didn't know that they knew that I was high. So I didn't feel bad because nobody knew. I didn't think anybody knew anything. Once I realized there was a moment uh, one morning when I, after I had, you know, after I had gone back to Raleigh, I was staying at my parents' house. My dad came in one morning before before going to work and he was crying and he and he came up and he, and I was still asleep and he came and got into my bed. And he started hugging me and he's crying in my arms and, and uh, I'm like, what's going on? Are you okay? And he's like, Brendan, I just, I just need you to get better. I, 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 I don't want you to be like this. Um And that's where it kind of hit home of, wow, I'm really affecting people other than myself. I mean for all I cared, I didn't care if I lived or died. Uh but it it made it very real when that image of my dad crying uh which he's not a he's not a crying guy. He he's I I can count on one hand how many times I've seen my dad cry. Seeing him cry like that made me Smack myself in the face and, and, you know, say, Brennan, get your, get your shit together. Uh, cause it, it, it made it, it made it real. And I didn't want to accept that it was real. I thought that this is it and I'm just going to die like this. And, and then, and then it was, it was almost that I felt a duty, I felt a responsibility to the people that cared about me to better myself.
1: Yeah, wow, Brennan. What talk about rehab? What, uh, what was it like?
2: Uh, rehab was the best experience. I rehab is one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, what is it like? There's a lot of different kinds of people, a lot of people from state pen, so state penitentiary. My roommate, uh, he was from state pen, and uh he you know all these different crazy stories that aren't i barely skimmed the surface uh as far as how how arduous my story is some of these people uh, really experienced a lot of torment and pain before going to rehab but it was it was you had it was it was it was good um we woke up at the same time we had meals they educated you on the disease of addiction, in that there is, you know, there's there's nothing you can do about it. There's always that urge in me, even now, uh, to think, okay, I'm I'm dealing with a difficult client, for example. It would be so easy to just call that number to take that pill. That, it never goes away. Uh, my my sponsor, which is um, uh, which is like the mentor uh, that you're assigned. My sponsor explained it to me like a like a gummy bear, a gummy bear in your pocket. It's that that is the addiction. It's cute. Doesn't really do any harm. You can you know, you can it's it's very manageable. And then and then you keep feeding it and grows into a teddy bear and it's cute and it's it's fun. Uh, And then it goes into a grizzly bear and then it consumes your life and, and you can't do anything about it. That bear never goes away. Whether it's in the form of a grizzly bear or a gummy bear, it never goes away. So I always have that mental picture of, I always have that gummy bear in my pocket in that I could very easily relapse at any moment. And believe me, Molly, it's, va- I, I, I often think, man, it would be a lot easier to just take drugs right now and, you know, nod off and, Be totally out of this world and and not have to worry about anything with reality right now, but it's maintaining that maintain making sure that that little gummy bear stays as a gummy bear is is super important so that it doesn't you know grow into a grizzly bear that does consume my life because I mean that is what it was.
1: So, Brennan, what in those moments your awareness obviously is insanely um heightened because of this and when do, when you have those feelings are you able just to will yourself like i'm not going there do you call your sponsor what do you do
0: ah uh, i i
2: get a i get a big mac with 10 piece nugget and barbecue sauce and a coke that's uh it's i know it sounds ridiculous but it's true it's whenever i have a, a really strong craving for drugs i go to mcdonald's that's like my uh like alternative uh fix if you will i uh, i don't even know why i picked that but uh it's something that just keeps my mind off of it uh especially especially when i especially when it's particularly difficult to avoid uh you know taking taking drugs or even calling somebody up to take those drugs but it sounds dumb it sounds simple but for the most part i, I uh i i i go to mcdonald's i take a break i um and i just kind of write down my thoughts
1: well how 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 long were you in rehab? And then how do you how do they know that you're like we're well, ready to leave?
2: Oh uh yeah, so that you're in rehab for a month, uh 28 days. So it's yeah, it's a month and uh it's technically so it, you, you're allowed to leave at any time. Uh the program is for one month. Uh if you want to stay longer, you can, but um there it's I don't know how they know that I'm ready to leave. I know, I know that I was ready to leave. I had never felt better than when I left rehab because you're cut off from all media, the only kind of technology, you don't have a phone, you don't have a T there's one TV in the main room. Uh, You have each other um, to talk to and there's a, you know, board games and stuff like that. But Everybody is is in the same uh, situation. And I can tell you that, you know, not every rehab is 100 percent successful in that people stop doing drugs entirely. I was a success, fortunately, but there are people that I know uh, that I knew that left rehab and have since overdosed and died uh, after leaving rehab. So it's it's not a, it's not necessarily a foolproof way. It's not a a fix all. Yeah. Uh, I think the main thing was just knowing that man that drug. I really like that drug, and being wary, being wary that I really like that drug, and staying away from it as much as possible. Yeah,
1: uh, Brandon. Let's segue to being this businessman. And I know you know people and reading people and identifying the right talent to partner with you is absolutely imperative and going through 120 painters to get one talk to us about how um you know how have you assessed and developed this twenty twenty one person company that you have you know what's helped you identify people um i presume sometimes they don't go well how do you how do you fire them faster you know just give us some of what you've learned
2: yeah uh so we have so i have a, i have a I have an office space and there's a, in our in our way, there's an office in the front warehouse in the back in the warehouse. We've built a fake room, uh, which is just four walls that we erected. And what I do when I interview painters, I say, go in there, uh, paint it, you know, paint the trim, uh, this color and then paint the walls that color and then come get me when they're done. When you're done, if they pull out tape, uh, that I immediately get rid of them. I say, there, you know, you're not a good match. I only accept the highest tier uh, painters, only the highest quality painters, and if they need uh, a level of safety, uh, so if they mess up, um, then I know that they're not they're not good enough to represent my my company. Uh, I know that I do not need tape to paint a straight line. Some painters do. Uh, but that's not the standard that we hold ourselves to. So I'll tell them to paint the room. And if they pull out tape, then I tell them to leave. I say, I'm sorry, you're not going to be a good fit. If they continue to do it and they don't pull out tape and they do it right, then I know that that is a that is a step in the right direction. Once they're, um, once I've seen them you know, prep everything, cover the floors, cover all the furniture and everything like that. Then I'll put them at the bottom of the totem pole under a crew chief. Um, so a crew is made up of typically three or four guys, uh, guys and girls. And, uh, the crew chief is the person that runs the job. He's the person that knows to paint this room and that room and what colors and all that stuff. So after I interview somebody in the fake room in the warehouse, I'll put them on a crew and I'll have the crew chief, um, essentially, uh, you know, coach them and, and, and give me feedback at the end of the day. Um, and I I'm so, so lucky to have my, my right hand man, Sebastian. He's, he's my top guy. He is, he's one of the most talented painters I've ever seen. He's also incredibly diligent and efficient managerially. Uh, and so for example, if I put, uh, you know, Joe on a job with Sebastian at the end of the day, I'll talk to Sebastian and say, Sebastian, how did Joe do? And then Sebastian usually can tell me, I mean, Sebastian can tell me within an hour usually that this guy is good or he's not good. Uh, cause typically I will leave the job site to do other estimates or, you know, other, you know, things to run the business. So it's a lot of reliance on the people around me, having trust in the people around me, being transparent with the people around me, and then keeping those people with me by um, not just paying them well. I I pay my painters very, very well, but little things. Every Friday I'll show up at any given job site and I have a hot plate. I have a hot plate here in my truck. And I'll cook fajitas, you know, just some onions, some peppers, some tortillas, and some steak. And I'll just cook it up. I'll ask the homeowner, hey, is it okay if I plug in this hot plate, um, you know, to your house so I can cook my guys some fajitas? And they, you know, 9.9 times out of 10, they'll say, absolutely. And so I'll cook my guys fajitas for lunch. And they love that. You know, there's small things that show that they're appreciated. All of my crew chiefs, uh, I pay for English classes for them. So they, they take uh, all the crew chiefs that want to um, are taking English classes three times a week uh, for, uh, uh, for hour long sessions. So it's these little things that, that show that I really do care about them. i I'm, I recognize that I'm not just providing I'm not just trying to profit and and, uh, you know, uh, build an empire. I, I do care about the my painters and the families that they are providing for, because at the end of the day, what I really want is I, I want Sebastian to go home and say, yes, I work for Raleigh Paint and Improvement, and I'm so proud to say that I work for Raleigh Paint and Improvement because you know, they're so transparent. They do such quality work. Everybody, and we don't have five stars on Google for, for no reason. You know, we do excellent work and we are the best painters in the Raleigh area. Um, and I want to instill that into my painters and it, it just, it's the small things that really matter, showing them that you, that you care, building a company culture that, that uh, rewards good, good behavior, uh, being nice to the clients, good communication, walking clients through what's happening, if there's a problem, explaining the problem, coming up with a solution. Uh, and then they're rewarded for that. And they're rewarded handsomely for that. And they have Sebastian to look up to because Sebastian's achieved that. Sebastian has done everything right. And so they know that it's possible. And so as a result, uh, if I can use you know, I Sebastian is the model painter, uh, if you will, of Raleigh Paint and Improvement. And so everybody knows that they should aspire to be like Sebastian. And um, and so far that that's that's worked.
1: I am beyond blown away because you so how did, was that just so natural to you to focus on these little but not so little things? Brennan, I'm serious. So did you have a mentor who said, hey, how are you doing that? Was that just a natural for you?
2: I that was a natural thing. So I love to cook. That's actually Molly. I know you like to cook, too, as well, right? Yep. yeah. So I love to cook. My, my pastime, uh, my passion is cooking. Uh, I, I'd love to start a charity one day that provides delicious food for the homeless. Uh, but I love to cook. And so, uh, I thought, what is something that I would want in a boss? I, I, would want good leadership. I would want fair pay. I would want fair treatment. Um, and then, you know, that's just a baseline. What is it that makes my painter stay with me? Are those extra things that say, Hey, you know what, uh, Umberto, You did you did a really good job. This client was super, super happy. Uh, Here's a gift card to, uh, you know, whatever Outback Steakhouse to, you know, take your family out to dinner. Here's a hundred. Here's a hundred dollar gift card, um, you know, for you to for you to take your family, treat them to dinner because you did such a great job. It's those little things that that are so uh, easy to do, but it's so valuable. Because it makes them feel that they are listened to. And, and, and I, I do care about them. I care about what they say. I'm often going to my painters saying, hey, what can we do? It's a very collaborative environment whenever we're working together. I never say that someone works for me. I, I always say that someone works with me. Technically, yes, they are employees. They technically work for me but I don't, I don't say that. I find that demeaning. I, I think that it's better to say, Hey, you and I are going to solve this problem together. You know, you have just as much input as I do. And if you feel very strongly in this solution, then I'm going to trust you. And and that's what it comes down to is just a, is just a, a baseline, strong level of trust and loyalty Um in, in in people, in relationships. And if that solution that they've come up with, for example, is a bad solution, then they've learned. And I don't discipline them. I don't yell at them. They know they've screwed up because the homeowner's probably already, you know, you know upset about it. I, I don't need to yell at them. They know that they've messed up. And then they say, you know, let's fix it. And so it it almost works itself out in that way uh, because I I don't need to do the disciplining. It's, it's, Hey, what's the solution that you would like to come up with? Okay. Yeah. I think we should tweak it a little bit, but overall that sounds good. Let's go with it. Um, I'm going to let you take leadership. I'm going to let you take responsibility of this job and then whichever way it goes, Uh, You are responsible for it. I I keep them accountable. And and people like having responsibility. They like knowing that they have an influence on their on on their work. And when they do come up with a solution that is uh, the right solution, it makes them more proud than if I were to come up with a solution and tell them to do it. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, yes. And I'm just like, want to spread you all over the planet because (laughs)
2: if all (laughs) leaders
1: just had took these nuggets of advice that you've shared. That would be a better world, like overnight, instantly. That would be amazing. Um, Brandon, let's just segue to the say it skillfully part of the show, even though I can tell you are so gosh, your communication is so spectacular. Is there a tough conversation you have or had that we can unpack?
0: Um,
2: yeah, uh, so, um, uh, tough conversation. I mean, one of them, uh, was, um, so I can give you an example. There, there was, uh, it was, this was right when we were starting out. Actually, uh, nobody, we were painting a ceiling in a house actually is this the first guy. The first guy that we were, uh, that I knocked on the door and let me paint for, um, we were painting the ceiling. I was painting the ceiling above his new white leather couch. You know, it had to have been, it was, well, I can tell you exactly how much it was cause I ended up paying for it, but, uh, back up a little bit it it was a six thousand dollar new white leather couch with all the little like you know usb ports and stuff and nobody told me to put plastic over it and uh we painted the ceiling above it and paint got all over it and so i we had to come up with a solution um and you know the solutions were um number one uh i will take uh, i will pay you for the uh I'll, i'll take this couch from you uh, and I will pay you for the, for whatever the couch cost, And that was, that was a really hard solution for me to do because I didn't have the money at the time. So I would have had to come up with some way of borrowing the money or whatever. Um, or number two, I'll go to the bank right now and I'll pay you 50% of the value of that, uh, of that couch in cash. Uh, or number three, I can get an upholster uh an upholstery person to try and repair it he ended up saying that he just wanted to see what the upholstery guy could do and that's how we uh and that's how we resolved the issue it's so
1: helpful for people to know that hey stuff happens and in the moment brennan because you know like i don't have the money right you you got you got it down and you really wanted to do right and i guess that you know is a moral of the story for folks that if you can try to do what's right, even though it's hard, you know, that's that's at least a way to start. And um, and I'm sure that, that, that those actions from you spoke louder than your words to this person uh, in terms of understanding who you are. And um, so kudos for you for making that call in the 11th hour. Um, oh my gosh, we could go on and on. I am so, um, I'm just so blown away. You're so self-aware. It strikes me as very self-aware. If you were to take three words or three phrases, Brennan, that capture the essence of you. What would you say?
0: Um,
2: diligent, honest, transparent?
1: That's awesome. That's really awesome. The you know you I, I get the sense of wanting to continue to grow. Is there a particular area of growth you're leaning into right now?
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we're, we're um, as far as uh, personal growth, uh, I, I probably should hit the gym more. Uh, definitely need to work out more. Um, but uh, as far as business goes, we're expanding into multiple states. We're obviously in Raleigh right now. But one of our largest clients is Chick-fil-A. And we've been doing a great job with them. And, um, and so they asked us to, they, they heard that we were doing great work. Chick-fil-A corporate called me and said, uh, Hey, we, we heard you've been doing great work in the Raleigh locations. Uh, we need painters everywhere. And then they went on to list probably 20 different States. Most of them on like the West, West coast and in the Midwest. And, um, and then I narrowed it down to Denver and Austin, Texas. So we're actually expanding to Denver, uh, and uh, we're going to be we're going to be opening up operations in in Denver to, uh, to 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 offer painting services for the Denver Denver community. So very excited for that. That's what's coming in twenty twenty three, and then you know. I, I'm not I'm not some you're not listening to me saying, wow, this guy is, you know, some other kind of brilliant. He's saying words that I don't know. It's 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 not it's not as difficult. It's not a secret. You just keep swinging. And and until they come in and, you know, close my doors, I, I'm going to keep trying to do what's right and make it right, even if it's hard, continue to try to do and make it right no matter what. And, and with that, um, the, the business will come, the money will come.
1: For sure. Do it, do right, make it right. Even if it's hard words to live by, and I will be helping you every way I can in Denver and Austin, because there is zero doubt in my mind that you will thrive. Um, You know, as we wrap, would you just share for folks what it was like for you, Brennan, to share your journey today?
2: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. It, it, you fail so much. It is, it is impossible to achieve anything great without failure. Trial and failure is, is required. It's necessary, specifically the failure part, because that's how we learn. That's how we grow to be better people at the end of the day. Failure in my opinion is the key to the doorway of success so if if you're not failing then you're not trying hard enough you're not pushing hard enough you're not you're not pushing the envelope to kind of shake in your boots a little bit and wonder huh is this am i extending myself too far that's a good sign that means you're going in the right direction if your goals don't scare you a little bit then your goals are not big enough and fully expect failure because that's where you grow the most. I embrace failure at every step. It sucks. It is the worst thing. Nobody likes failing, but trust me, you come out a much better person and you're going to make a whole lot money more doing it.
1: Brandon, you are just boundless. I am blown away. You've channeled what really could have taken you down and turned it into something that is creating goodness for yourself and for all those around you. And you're just, you know, gosh, you just inspire beyond words. Um, So my friend, I am here in any way that I might be a little bit helpful to you. You know how to reach me. I appreciate you being part of the solution. Brennan, you're helping all of us to be safe, seen, and heard in our very, very true and best selves. You take good care, my friend.
2: Thank you so much. I do appreciate it, Molly.
1: We will cross paths very, very soon, very soon.
0: Okay, folks,
1: it it doesn't get any better. Okay, so just, uh, I have to close with with Brennan's thought. Failure is the key to the door of success. Embracing failure is how you grow the most. If you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. And that is a wrap. Thank you for tuning in. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show, Amplify Brennan's Voice. Reflect on your own top takeaways and know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality, essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life.
0: Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang.